Welcome to The Property Planet, a podcast with Simon Howley and Amanda Perotten of Bell Howley Perotten, the show all about the tax and legal issues surrounding property ownership, where we discuss everything that affects property investors and developers and go deep into the details to unravel the advice, highlight the traps you can fall into and dispel the myths surrounding property ownership in the UK. Morning, Amanda. Morning, Simon. Right. This is our very first podcast, so I thought we would discuss... um, various legal ways of owning property in the UK. Now, in my mind, from my non-legal knowledge, uh, you can be jointly owned, uh, tenants in common, freehold, leasehold, uh, interest can be beneficial or legal, and then of course we have the, the mortgage deeds, do's and don'ts that their TNC is not to fall uh, foul of. So, can you go through what a jointly owned property is? Yes, so first of all, we must just be uh, careful to say that this is for England and Wales. So the Scottish have a slightly different legal system to ours. Um, so we'll just deal with the property that's in England and Wales. Okay. And yes, so you can own property in all sorts of ways. And it doesn't necessarily mean that if your name is on the title, you are the beneficial owner. So you could hold that property on trust for yourself and another individual or other individuals. So looking at the title itself, you will have, um, if you have it in somebody's sole name and they are holding it on trust for somebody, then you will see a restriction on the title. And the restriction on the title will say that that person can't sell it without consent of a second trustee. So that should immediately alert the solicitor that's acting um, in relation to any transfers on title that this property is not beneficially owned by a single person. So the legal title, it's a bit like a car, I reckon. Yeah, go on. Okay, so a trustee can be a lender, in effect. Mm. Or a trust? A trustee is quite an odd way um, of looking at it but usually it's not it's not the lenders because a lender if a lender has a charge on a property the, the legal title itself is split into three sections so there'll be the property register which will detail the property there'll be the proprietorship register and that will detail who owns the legal title and then there'll be the charges register and those are things that affect the title. So it could be covenants on the title. For example, you've got to maintain the fence down the left-hand side. But a charge will also be where the lender will have their charge recorded and registered. So a trustee could be, um, for example, if there has been uh, somebody has passed away and there could be an executor, it could be another individual in whom you um, you can appoint. So it could be a solicitor, it could be a, a member of a firm, it could be a different number of people, but it fundamentally means that the title of that property cannot be changed or transferred without two people signing a contract and a transfer. Okay. So, the de- so you could have, so lots of people talk about declarations of trusts, um, which I'm sure we'll come on to either now or in later podcast but a declaration of trust simply declares although the legal title might be in somebody's sole name that that single person is actually the trustee or they're holding it on trust for either themselves and another or on behalf of a number of 
beneficiaries. And that is where you get the difference between the legal title and the beneficial title. Okay, and that is quite a handy way, isn't it, for tax purposes to split the way the income is taxed. Um, as we get approached by quite a few clients where they want to, it's owned by husband and wife, uh, but then they want to suddenly change it from being joint ownership to split into 50-50 or 80-20 or whatever they want. And that's the, the mechanism we would use to normally split the income because, of course, the income will always follow the ownership or the beneficial ownership will always follow the income. Um, and that's how we can rectify that for spouses. Yeah, so the, the natural assumption as far as HMRC are concerned is that if you have a property held jointly by a husband and wife, then the income will be split 50-50. So in order to rectify that to the reality of, say, if an income is, is the greater proportion of the income is being given to the wife, then or the husband, either party, then you do need a declaration of trust that the land that uh, HMRC need to see in order to justify the fact that it's not going to be on a 50-50 basis. If you're acting for somebody, two brothers, partners, boyfriend and girlfriend that were going to buy a property, you would naturally put in place a declaration of trust to explain the way in which the contributions have been made to the purchase um, and any future capital splits. Otherwise, in the absence of that, you've got, again, a natural assumption of 50-50. Okay, cool. So... The freehold and leasehold are very, very different. Yes. From very, a legal point of view, well, they're two separate animals, but from a legal point of view, what are they? So a freehold title means that you own the underlying land underneath the property that the underneath the property that it, it's built on. So you've got the airspace above and you've got the ground below. So you can effectively do anything you like with that property within reason and within planning constraints um, to make alterations to it. Now, if you allowed that to happen with a leasehold property, um, you wouldn't actually be interfering with your own land. You would potentially be interfering with the ceiling or the floor of the neighbouring property. So if you imagine, even if you converted a, a house into four separate uh, flats, you really don't want somebody being able to do whatever they like with the adjoining walls because there needs to be some consideration for the fact that there's somebody living on the other side of that wall. So what a lease does is it imposes covenant. So it imposes obligations on the leaseholder, the person that owns the flat, to not interfere with walls, ceilings, roof spaces, etc. So shared communal areas of the building, which would otherwise undermine either the structure or the enjoyment of living in that property. So you have what they call cross covenants, so cross enforceability, so that you can actually ensure that um, your neighbour doesn't decide to um, develop into the loft space without everybody's consent and causes a massive problem with the roof because you're all sharing the same roof. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's a very basic explanation of, of why you need to have different ways of dealing with those titles. So obviously the lease is granted out of the freehold title. So the actual house that's been converted into four flats, 
has a freehold title out of which could be granted four separate leases for a period of time that then um, those each individual leaseholders own those properties. It's, a, it's a, also a mechanism for clients to you know, increase the value of their properties. Yeah, because I've had two cases in the past month where clients have bought properties or they have a property under one title that is either split already into, say, three or four separate self-contained flats, or they want to split it into that. Um, yeah. Is it, obviously, if you have separate titles, it will increase the value of the property and therefore lending is it's beneficial. Is it easy to split a title? It's easy to split a title, um, but it's not always necessary. So obviously, when we're, when we're chatting to clients about this sort of thing, you, if, so if, if you've got a freehold building that's worth a million, you may find that each flat within that freehold building could be worth 350,000. So actually, you can increase the, the base value of the building as an entirety by 400,000 by splitting out each of those flats into a leasehold title. However, obviously with HMOs, it depends how you're going to split it, whether you're going to actually create very distinctive separate flats, whether you're going to create an HMO, what sort of lending you've got on it, and whether or not the lender that you usually use would prefer to charge the whole of the building, they'll want it to be remain as a freehold. But you have to bear in mind that you can't then sell one of the individual units because it comes as a whole. So you've either got four flats with short-term tenants in each of the flats, or you've got a freehold building out of which you've granted four separate leases, each of which has its own value and mortgage. But I assume obviously if a client's going to buy a building like that, they should already be aware. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the thing is is that um, w- what we really want to what we really want to know is what are you going to do with it? Are you looking to, you know, you you talk to clients a lot about whether or not they're trading in activity or whether it's an investment activity. Um, so are they planning to redevelop a site? maximize the capital on that site and sell off as many units or and or all of the units that they can or are they looking to retain it because um, they have an arrangement with a local authority or you know they've got certain guaranteed tenants that are going to go into this building in which case they're going to they're going to develop it and they're going to um, then retain it as an investment and take the rents off of it so I think all of those factors will make a difference in terms of maybe how they buy it, how they divide it, how they how they get lending on it, what lenders to approach, what lenders prefer. You know, they, they perhaps their niche is lending on HMOs. Maybe their niche is lending in you know certain development sites. Yeah. I think those sorts of conversations. I think they're always it's quite important right from the beginning because as we've always said it's easier to ban it from the beginning rather than try and unpick it once it's in place it's often impossible to unpick it once it's in place <laughs> but then again clients are clients um so obviously we get a lot of inquiries at the moment um incorporation incorporating 
portfolios, obviously with the um, report released by Treasury recently on reform, reform and capital gains tax, uh, no doubt those requirements will increase. But obviously the issue with incorporation, ignore the tax issues at the moment, is, is always going to be lending. Lending is always the, the pain uh, to, to get around. But I know some lenders uh, allow you to approach it in different ways. Yeah, so as, as with, as with all, all matters, um, each lender has their own separate terms and conditions. And the terms of conditions obviously form the contract that you enter into when you take the mortgage out. So the mortgage deed itself will incorporate all of the terms and conditions. So all the small print um, that the lender is not always expecting you to, or perhaps, uh, I don't know, enabling you to plod through. It's the, it's the stuff at the back. It's the 10 pages of teeny tiny little writing with about 17 or 18 conditions. And if you, when you sign up for your mortgage and your mortgage deed, you are basically signing to say that you have read all of those terms and conditions, that you understand them, and you agree to abide by them for the term of the mortgage. So a popular misconception is that if you default on your mortgage, so you fail to pay one of your monthly payments, then or maybe two or three in a row, then your lender will take action to repossess the property. Actually, the lender has the right to repossess for a breach of any of the mortgage conditions. So it's particularly important to always advise a client before they enter into a mortgage to make sure that they have actually read the small print. And as we said, like the small print will differ from lender to lender. So and it will also differ depending on when, when you take your mortgage out. So if you took out a mortgage with your lender in 2010, which happens to have now fallen over onto their standard variable rate, and because the mortgage rates are so low, you've obviously not bothered remortgaging because you've stuck with them because the mortgage rates are so low and the interest rates are so low, your mortgage conditions, the terms and conditions, will be those at the date you took that mortgage out, so in 2010. So you need to look at the terms and conditions that were applicable to you when you took your mortgage out and you need to review whether or not the lender has included a provision that says if there's any change in the legal or beneficial title, you are obliged to notify your lender. If you are obliged to notify your lender under those terms, then um, when we look at incorporations, this is a huge factor to take into account because it may be that um, the client will have to remortgage um, once the uh, portfolio has been incorporated. Is it Virgin, Virgin Mortgages and, and uh, TSB? They yeah. allow you, don't they, to um, say put in, in place a, a beneficial change of ownership mechanism yeah. in place without notifying them. Where yeah, so like like um, like Paragon, just say you can't no. do. That. Yeah. So when you when you go back to the, um, the the beginning of the podcast when we were talking about how you hold a property, so you will have the legal title and the beneficial title. So the declaration of trust, you can say, well, actually, this person is holding this property on trust for the benefit of a another, and that a another could be a company, for example. But if your mortgage terms and conditions specifically say that you will need to notify or you need to obtain the consent of the lender in order to put that declaration of trust in place, 
failure to do so will mean a breach of your mortgage conditions. And obviously, with our experience, some lenders are happy to say yes, some lenders are happy to say no. And actually, newer additions of the terms and conditions have also now started to incorporate conditions that say you cannot do this. So if you're with a lender that specifically says you cannot, then you can't. So to paraphrase a client, then just don't tell them. (laughs) What's the issue with that? Yeah, so if you just don't tell them, then obviously you're in breach of your mortgage conditions. Because right back when you signed that mortgage deed, you signed that mortgage deed and you ticked all the boxes that said you have read all the terms and conditions and you agreed to abide by them. Okay, um, I hope everyone enjoyed that and hopefully join us on our next podcast next week. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening and tune in next week when we discuss more of the tax and legal issues surrounding your business and property needs.